0: Hi, guys. I'm Matt Harris, host of the HMO Experience Property Podcast. And in this episode of the podcast, my co-host, Steve Mitchell, has a chat with Dixesh Patel as part of our Experienced Investor Series. Now, Dixesh shares his journey from studying at the London School of Economics to working in investment banking before pivoting into property investment and property development and how working with joint venture partners has helped accelerate the growth of his property business exponentially. In addition, Dixer shares how your belief system, mindset coaching, and business mentoring has played a massively important role in his property investing journey and how he's now paying it forward and giving others the opportunity to be guided and mentored by him. If you like this episode, Make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to so that you get notifications when weekly episodes of the HMO Experience Property Podcast drop. In addition, head over to our Facebook page, the HMO Experience Property Podcast, press that like button and you will get notified as and when we drop additional bonus content. And lastly, head over to the HMO Experience Property Podcast YouTube channel hit that subscribe button, make sure the bell notifications on so that you can see videos of each podcast episode, as well as behind the scenes and never seen before bonus content, which only drops on our YouTube channel. That's all for me. Let's head into the episode.
1: Welcome everyone to this amazing edition of the HMO Experience Property Podcast. I'm super privileged to be uh, interviewing Dick Sesh Patel, um, who I've known for a little while um, and has uh, followed his Sort of journey in uh, property very closely. So one of the things about Dick Sesh is he is the CEO of the Lighthouse Capital Group, and I'm sure he's going to tell us a little bit about that and and how he got into uh, into forming that company. He's also one of the first developers uh, to have been approved for the Trusted Land Program. So again, um, Dick Sesh will will share a little bit about that. But his main claim to fame. Is that he lost fifty kilos at fifty, and I'm just fifty, and I'm and I'm I have no idea how he did it. So hopefully he's going to give us one or two tips on how to do that. Um, and he also appeared in Men's Health magazine. So welcome, Dick Sesh. Say hi to everyone. Oh, hi, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me this afternoon. Thanks for that uh, lovely intro as well. <laughs> you're, you're very, very welcome. So, Dixesh, tell us um, tell us a little bit about your backstory because I know you've got a, a, an interesting. Um, sort of past, sort of how you uh, got into uh, your sort of corporate life, what your corporate life was, and then kind of um, how did you exit that and, and get into the property world?
2: Yes, great question. Actually, I have to take it back to my childhood. I mean, I I, I grew up in a, a council estate up in uh, northwest London uh, during my early years. Um, both my parents, uh, when we you know, first landed in this country, I mean, I was literally Three years old, I think back in the day. Um, and I am over 50, and I am that old. And uh, back in those days, East Africa was still under British rule. But yeah, we won't go into that too much. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I grew, I grew up in Northwest London. Um, and myself, I was one of the, the first to go to university uh, in the early years. And I just, one of my real passions was that. I always felt that I had to lead the way of being the older sibling, and I wanted us to be out of uh, this council estate. And, and I remember when I was applying for universities and things like that, uh, my tutor sort of had mentioned that, uh, um, you know, when he looked at number one on the list, um, uh, which I'll come on to in a minute, um, was, well, Dixit, I don't think that's possible. You'll have to set your, set your sights a bit lower. And maybe he did that to give me a kick on the backside, motivate me. But I ended up at the London School of Economics, which I'm super proud of. Um, very um, tough for anybody growing up in a council estate. You know, it, it really sort of was a character building exercise uh, that uh, really sort of put me into where I was, and I, I slowly moved into um the the technology world you know I was a programmer when I first started and and as I grew through the ranks, moved into sort of leadership roles um into the investment banking arena, and eventually ended up as a project uh, program and portfolio manager over the years and that in itself, with those skills uh were the, the early infancy stages of 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 my uh, interests around property and property development. But even prior to that, I actually, uh, you know, remember the first time I quit my corporate role back in the late 2000s, and we'll remember this, was around the sort of Lehman's uh, era, where as soon as uh, that Lehman's uh, 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 started folding, that almost crashed our business. And we had to sort of uh, take a step back and actually close it. And and those are market forces, a very character-building exercise as well. Um, And I actually went back into the corporate world again uh, for the second, uh, well, that was the third time of asking, actually. And um, I slowly rebuilt myself. And in the background, about four or five years ago, I uh, set up a property company while still working in the corporate world. Learned a lot the first time I'd quit. I'd actually build up a, a little platform uh, whilst you're working, and eventually I thought to myself, "Yep, yeah, now's the time." I literally was working sixty to eighty hours a week at times mm. on two two roles, uh, working within the banking sector as well as my property business. Um, and I eventually uh, set sail. Had a nice little uh, mini portfolio, and you know, do what do most people do? Start off on basic refurb projects. Then they do crazy things like do HMOs. Uh, you know, even as big as uh, uh, and you'll remember this twenty five bedrooms. Yeah, exactly. Which was also uh, a crazy experience. Um, and then you know, you learn your stripes as a as a as a property developer, property investor and move into property development. Uh, and, you know, where are we currently? We've got a 22 unit scheme uh, build up in uh, Litchfield, just north of Birmingham, which just started a couple of weeks ago. Uh, got a site in Southwest London, which is going through planning. Uh, and in the background, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of acquisitions to add to my portfolio, as well as working with uh, my joint venture partners uh, to help uh, you know, generate exceptional returns, which is mm. uh, exciting.
1: So I, I remember when I uh, came out of finance, I was in the finance world, not not in a banking sense, but um, I worked in uh, asset finance. And um, a, a lot of people that I speak with that have sort of subsequently come out of that financial world, they they talk about um, some similar things, that like long hours, uh, the commute to work, uh, the pressure and stress of, of working in that uh, arena, uh, I guess, constantly being monitored before, uh, for performance, and if you don't perform, then you're kind of showing the door. So there's that that whole stress. set. So what was the catalyst that sort of um, said to you, right, okay, uh, I'm going to go into property and I see property as a, as another uh, potential incomes uh, for me? Was there like one event that happened or did it sort of um, just sort of change and morph over a period of time? I think there was one event that I can look back at, which then led to the
2: changing and morphing over the years. Um, and this happened in the, uh, pretty much, uh, 1990. We're still living in a council property. I was 20, 21 back then, relatively young, uh, didn't really know much about property. And though, though around that time, uh, Maggie Thatcher's, uh, right to buy scheme started popping up and I sort of started researching that. I didn't really understand it, didn't know what it was all about, but I was so tenacious to try and find out how that works uh, because with my, my mother and father, you know, the, the knowledge wasn't there. There's obviously language barriers as well. Um, and I, I spoke to a, a, um, uh, an estate agent who put me in touch with somebody that was working for Abbey National and you know, then I uh, finally, you know, after knocking on the doors of the council, trying to find out how this all works, found out that go, wow, we've been a, we've been council tenants for well over twenty years, and there's actually some value there. And um, I know my dad had the money as well, and I think we paid nothing for that property. It was literally uh, twenty thousand pounds for a three-bedroom wow. flat in northwest London. And that was my first experience of uh, understanding the mechanics, dealing with a lawyer, uh, you know, and, and understanding how to sort of uh, get, take ownership. And from there, eventually what happens was I actually graduated in 1990, as it happened, and it took about two or three years of working, you know, building up some more capital, you know, saved and scrimped, and then borrowed some money from my uncle as well for a deposit on a house up, again, Northwest London in, in Kingsbury. Um, and that, and we eventually rented the original flat out. And that was my first experience of just becoming a buy-to-let landlord. I wouldn't say it was the most fun experience because I used to be an accidental landlord back then. Didn't really understand that you should let some property manager manage it all, as yeah. opposed to DIY property management, uh, dealing with tenant stress, boiler issues, you know, all the usual stuff. and. Um, when I bought the first property, that residential living, you know, that was the, the second catalyst to realise that actually, wow, we've just bought this flat. That's pretty reasonable. And you know, we you do what most people do: they work, they earn a bit of money, then they buy another one. But the, the, the gap between buying properties and saving money, you know, you're looking at three, four, five years, and that that carried on. And don't get me wrong; it was a good strategy um but around uh, uh i would say 2004 2005 mark I, I, I sort of uh felt things were really slow because clearly prices had gone up and you there's only so much you can save um and then you know that was my first experience of refinancing a portfolio and thinking well hey get some extra refinance money and start buying um some more properties so i started buying uh, properties up in Bristol, of which I've still got a few flats down there. Uh, bought another one up in northwest London with my brother as well. That was that was nice. And again, I still felt the the growth curve was relatively slow. Mm. And it's only relatively around four or five years ago, uh, maybe even longer. I remember attending uh, John Corey's uh, uh, property event. That was my first property networking event ever about six or seven years ago. And he'll remember this. And the first speaker was a speaker on joint venture investors. And I went around thinking, wow, how does that work? How is anybody going to give you any money? And, just like, and then what? That, that everybody shares the profits? I, and I just didn't believe it. I just thought this is a scam and like this doesn't work. How does all this happen? And I went two years um, sort of dithering because the belief system wasn't there until I realized is the belief system is driven from the value you create. And then the first investor entrusted me on that. And I, and it's, and I set sail uh, off the back of that. That created more energy inside me in a belief system. And I actually even run uh, talks on on that whole journey around joint ventures. Because a lot of the times, those talks center about money and deal structure. But it's so much more than that with relationships. Uh, as we know, and, and obviously your, your credibility as well. And so that's where I started scaling up and even drawing it to recently in the last year with the current climate, with the COVID prior to that, we had Brexit uh, uh, conundrum come through, election risk as well. And I feel there's so much more opportunity uh, to be able to sort of accelerate faster. And of course, I've learned a lot over the last sort of uh, yeah, you know, since since 1990 when we bought that uh, council uh, property, uh, all the
1: way through to today. Wow! So you, you raise an interesting point about mindset because I know that you're um, quite big, very big on mindset. So how did you how did you change your mindset from going into John Corey's sort of first uh, property networking meeting? maybe not really knowing about this, sort of thinking, well, does it work? To use your words, is it possible? What did you do or how did you change your mindset? Because I imagine there's lots of people who uh, will be watching this on YouTube or listening to this on a podcast who are in a similar sort of situation. So what what was your uh, way of being able to change your own mindset?
2: I think, and I'd, again, I go back to my first business failure, um, And, you know, all entrepreneurs, unless they've had some sort of failure, they're not successful in my books. And there's always got to be something there so that you can learn from. So that first failure in the uh, late 2000s around the the, the time Lehman Brothers went bust, what did I learn off the back of that? I can't know it all. And I don't know it all. Ego is a big killer and a huge risk in anybody, any entrepreneur's uh, armory. And what I realized off the back of that, that's when I first hired my first mindset coach and business mentor, because I realized that I was the problem, you know, not focusing on understanding the mechanics of leveraged expertise, uh, building relationships, making sure that you're building relationships in the right facets of your business. Because you can't, you know, especially in property, you've got three different components it's a lot more complex, of course you 've got the the project and the deal flow left field right field you have the funds flow and the investor flow because you want to do uh, uh, more projects and then, and the other biggest part is the delivery component, which is the operational delivery side and the risks associated with that. so my mindset sort of started opening up um, around the time I hired uh, Andy. Uh, Wilkin, I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning that today, uh, as 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 my mindset coach and business mentor. And I never really look back. And, you know, even today, he's still there, he keeps me sane. Um, uh, and, you know, um, and and the key part is is, uh, and he mentioned this to me a while back. The fear lies in the indecision. Yeah, either do or don't. But for goodness' sake, don't sit on the fence because we spend so much time overanalyzing the what-if scenarios that might not even happen. And I just learned how to uh, analyze the uh, problem statements by actually looking at all the options. And one of them is actually do nothing and then understanding the risks behind that and actually then understanding how, how to manage your own mindset risk, as I call it. And the key here is... is uh, um again, around uh, joint ventures and relationship building you know, I, I've got a radio channel called WeFM fm what 's in it for me right, And too many people have this radio channel in their mindset that's constantly thinking i've got this little deal and ha-, you know what can I get from it when actually, what they should be doing is working it out and flipping it what's in it for them WeFT and looking at the problem statement of the person, the business partner, the, the the investment partner, even deal sources, site finders, you know, the delivery partner, what can you do to get all these parties together to get that deal over the line? You, as the individual, the lead developer, should be right at the bottom end of that. And that's when your mindset orientation starts gravitating. Uh, towards actually, A, building trust with your investor bank, deal sources. And the other side of it is I'm a big, big, huge believer in um, identifying who you are as a person, your core values. I remember 10 years ago when Andy mentioned that to me, I thought, God, this is a bit of a lot of religious, <laughs> religious rubbish. What's this all about? And he'll laugh, we'll laugh about it today. But... As we start de- evolving and developing those values, what happens is it becomes like a magnet, and those kind of like minded people with the great values like yourself yeah you know we, were, we met a few years ago we, would we be sat here doing a podcast uh if you know yes, we would because our value we have values alignment, and it 's no different when you're looking at uh creating Different partnerships, deal sources, site finders, estate agents, investors, delivery partners, because it's okay to walk away from a from a partnership. You know, we'll talk about investment partners, joint venture partners, um, if they don't fit in with your values, Mm. and that's huge. And we talk about, you know, when you're having we're having conversations with people, and you'll get that real buzzing feeling in the pit of your stomach. Your gut feeling, that instinct is driven through your core values. Mm.
1: Absolutely, I I, I recall at the beginning of my property journey, I I didn't trust. My uh, gut instincts, and I went on what I learnt in the in the classroom, and it cost me about nineteen grand. So I've always <laughs> I've always uh, gone with my gut. So so you're very very experienced. I know you've done some uh, amazing projects, but uh, I think a lot of people learn things uh, as you've already mentioned when when things don't go right. So so can you tell us of a time when something sort of didn't go quite right, or how you expected, and and then sort of how you sort of uh, coped with that? Because a lot of people who are just starting out. The one big fear is, uh, and we see this from the, uh, the community that we're, we're part of, they're worried about getting things wrong. So it's part of the journey, right? And, but yep. it's how you then um, get out of that situation, uh, either as a learning experience or leverage other people's experiences before you.
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. So yes, the, 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 you know, there's no straight line to success, especially in proper development. It is hugely risky. Because if you don't have subject matter knowledge, even assessing a scheme or assessing some numbers, then find somebody who you can partner with that has the skills to to provide that assessment. Um, and whenever I look at projects, I always look at capital preservation, number one. Number two, stop losses. So look at what your stop loss is. In the worst eventuality, if I have to take a 10 20% uh, haircut is that palpable? It's not going to go down to zero, but there's this, you know it's like buying uh, shares on the stock market. You buy some uh, you know Tesco's or Marks and shares or whatever. They keep going up and up and up, and the hardest part is to know when to exit. Mm. Yeah? And it's the same when it happens the other way. When something's not going right, is know that you have your stop loss. Uh, what I would refer to as trough, and be prepared to execute that, because it's okay to take a haircut. And what you know, and 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 I think that's a big, big lesson from even the first time I had a, a business failure. Knowing when to exit—that's mm-hmm. key, because it's
1: a risky business, and investors also need to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I worked in um, in risk. And uh, we had this concept of first loss is best loss. So why would you continually um, put money into either a failing project or a failing relationship, um, expecting that to get better? And sometimes it's better to assess. And uh, as you say, uh, and I've never really, I've learned something from you today because I've never really used that stop loss concept Mm -hmm. um, in in any of the property uh, transactions. I've been quite lucky in the sense that, okay, I've, I've uh, had my fair share of uh, refurb projects that have gone wrong and tradespeople that have sort of walked off, but I've never sort of actually lost money on a property. Um, but you're right, you need to have that sort of point that says, right, this is enough. Um, mm. I need to move on and, and, and that's it. And do you, how, do you, how do you then sort of deploy that when you're looking at the sort of current marketplace? Are you kind of bullish about property right now or are you, or are you bearish? It's a great question.
2: So I actually, around uh, 14 to 15 months ago, I started adding another arm to my property uh, company Uh, and focusing on what I would refer to as uh, distressed uh, stock, distressed property. And that's just simple buy-to-let stock. Now, why did I do that? I was aware that there was Brexit risk and a bit of uncertainty around that. Then, of course... There's a potential of an unstable government. We didn't know whether the election was going to happen or not. And then, of course, they announced it in December. Now, I can't say I had a crystal ball for uh, predicting a global pandemic. However, that's actually created more opportunity. Mm. Because, um, you know, when uh, in, in, in the current market, there are a lot of, lot of opportunities. I mean, I've just uh, uh, finished a, a, a little mini flip uh, up in Kent. You know, and the, the returns were, were pretty reasonable because there's a lot of property coming to the market that is reasonably uh, discounted. And as long as you create a win-win scenario, I always say this to people, with the seller. They might have a bit of debt. They don't want their credit rating to disappear Leave them something such that at least they've got something to be able to go off and rent somewhere, and you know, and have a bit of karma about it as well. And that's key. So at the moment, opportunity. This is the time where opportunities are there. Now is not the time to panic, because you know it's a cliche. You don't make money on property when you sell. You make money when you buy because you're buying at the right price.
1: Absolutely. Now, I'd like to switch the conversation around a little bit because I'm just intrigued about your men's health uh, appearance (laughs) and uh, particularly this 50K at 50. So um, health is important um, when it it, it doesn't matter what you do, because um, the the old sort of adage is that uh, a man builds his wealth that then affects his health and then has to spend his wealth uh, correcting his wealth. So, so that so main sort of uh, in the trade, I guess we call it planned maintenance. uh, And I'm carrying way too much wood, and I'm going to be joining your program uh, very shortly. So I'm like super pumped about that. But tell us about your um, about your sort of health journey as well, and and how has that actually uh, impacted your sort of uh, your your property activity, if it has at all? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think. I mean my history is that I, you know I, I was a pre diabetic I, I suffered badly from gout uh, cholesterol was a bit out of control, my blood pressure wasn 't at its best uh clearly overweight um, and i wasn 't enjoying myself there was a lot of pain and in the past, I sort of let myself go by you know working on businesses while I was in the corporate world. I never really um, took care of myself. I've attempted different kinds of yo yo diets, whatever it is, you name it, I've done it. And I've always spring loaded back uh, the other way. And the best analogy I give to people is cars. Yeah. Why do we service our car? And who do we go to? We'll go to a, a car mechanic to service our engine, but we, we don't question the the credibility or the expertise of the car mechanic, yeah? We just drop it in, we service it, you pay the fee. Why don't we have a human engine mechanic? Because surely a human engine is much more complex and changes over its lifetime uh, than a car engine. And so that's all I did. I just hired a body transformation coach. Uh, A few years back, who's still my body transformation coach, Kunal. I'm I'm sure he won't mind me saying it. And um, it's been an eye opener. Uh, You know, what did I get off the back of that? Um, It allowed me to find my me time, you know, whether it's I'm in the gym or whether I'm going out doing my walks. Um, Mental clarity has improved like tenfold. And I can't even put I can't put price on that um, certainly on the property side, my business has grown and it continues to grow. Um, I'm also a, a business coach and a mindset coach myself have been for over ten years with andy's support, and now I've added the third piece of of the jigsaw to that, which is the body transformation coaching and for me, the mind business and body are all connected 100%. And I, what I got out of it is um, focus, mental focus, the ability to know how to sort of drive that forward. And my my strategy across all business units, including my coaching arms, my property business is so strong now. And we've heard of the old cliche, shiny penny syndrome. If something doesn't fit into that, Strategy, then it's not for me, and that's you know it's created a, a military focus uh, in, on that side, you know, and that's been exciting.
1: Cool. So I I, I totally understand where you come from because at the very beginning, um, I my first uh, property. Um, mentor, I said, "Well, what should I be sort of aiming for?" He said, "We well, got to start with the end in mind," and he sort of kind of left me with that. I thought, well, "What the hell does that mean? Start with the... End? I, don't, I haven't even started yet. How do I know where I'm going?" And you rush around and you rush around and you do a deal you do a deal and you and your uh, uh, my business partner Jamie, he calls it oxygen. You search for oxygen. To um, either in the form of finance or deals, or but you're searching for something, and you don't really take on board the the mental and the physical impact. So you're a uh, a mindset uh, health coach, a property coach. What what is the benefit from your perspective of having a coach to uh, in those three different areas? So I think yeah, taking a step back, if you look at small
2: uh, businesses, yeah, it's usually. They're one-man or one-woman band. They're solopreneurs, as I like to call them. You have to look at how the the the, the bigger corporates work. They have uh, an extended board-level function, whether it's sales director, marketing director, finance director, operations director. Now, in in the world of smaller entrepreneurs, they can't afford all that, mm. and quite rightly so, because the business can't fund that. Think of... A, a business mentor or a coach as an extension of that board, but you pay for it and invest in it with limited time uh, throughout each period of your growth curve. So in the beginning, it might be half a day a month. And as your business expands, that board level function starts increasing. And it's almost you know your go-to person to provide you with opening up the mental clarity because you yourself have all the answers. Mm. What it is, is you just need somebody to unlock that uh, fog that's in the head when, um, you know, like COVID and and current market conditions, a lot of property developers have gone through a little element of stress like even myself when this first happened. But you have to figure out what the different options are. But the, the coach, you're not paying for the coach for that time, which you're investing in is all those 20 to 30 years of layers and layers of
1: experience so that you don't make the same mistakes. Yeah, exactly. I remember um, um, we we do some coaching as well, and and, uh, I uh, turned up, and uh, I wasn't sort of suited and booted. I was in t T-shirt and jeans and stuff. And uh, he turned around and said, well, we're paying you. You don't look like a mentor. I said, are you paying for what I look like, or are you paying for what's (laughs) in my head and that's going to come out of my mouth? And he said, Fair point. So, um, so I'm going to do. So, I've not prepared you for this next bit. So, this is like three questions, quick fire, one word answers, right? (laughs) Um, And then what we're going to do is sort of wrap up with um, what we call in on our podcast is is, uh, uh, the last word. So, I'm going to be asking you sort of your your sort of final comments. So, three quick questions um, with uh, with a a one word answer. So, uh, favorite holiday destination. Phuket. What is that? uh, Phuket. Phuket. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not like the the American, (laughs) the diplomat. Yeah, had a slightly different pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Phuket. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So, um, uh, are you a a beer guy or a spirits guy? Gin and spirits. Gin's your favorite. Um, And uh, in terms of of food, what's your favorite food? I love uh, spicy grilled chicken. It's my cool. food. A little bit of an insight in, into into Dixesh world. So, Dixesh, um, give us your final word. So, for for people who are are watching uh, the podcast, what would be your sort of final word? Your your one piece of advice to them. Um, my my final word would be:
2: We're in the world of uh people. Yeah, any business that we do is people driven. Learn the art of relationship building, that's number one. And in order to drive that, always look to add value with whoever
1: you're interacting with. And with my motto is pay it forward pay it forward. That is a great last word, Dixesh. Thank you very much. So we're going to uh, wrap it up there. Um, I really appreciate your time, Dixesh. I know you're a super busy man. We're so fortunate to be able to take some of your agenda um, and uh, just want to say thank you for that. Um, if anyone wants to get in contact with Dixesh to learn more about uh, coaching, mindset, body transformation, just like I'm going to be going through. Um, we're going to put a link in the show notes below and by all means contact Sesh and, uh, and have a chat with him. Um, I'm going to also be, um, uh, hopefully you're going to follow my um, improvements and my um, uh, progress in terms of my body transformation. I mean, I'm I'm kind of barrel shaped right now, and I'm kind of, yeah. I'm kind of. When my wife met me, she said you were triangular, you had wide shoulders and a really thin waist, and a, and a really cute derrière. So, um, <laughs> she wants, she wants me to get back to that. So uh, uh, that's yeah. my my journey. But um, check us out on uh, YouTube, check us out on all these social media channels, check us out on uh, Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and until next week, we'll say goodbye, Dick so say hi, uh, goodbye to everyone. Thanks, Steve. And thanks for having me. And goodbye, everybody. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Cool. And we'll see you all next week.
0: Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, before you head off, I just want to ask you to do three things. The first thing is, if you've been listening, you'll know that Jamie's new book, The HMO Blueprint, uh, dropped at the end of October. So make sure you head over to Amazon. You can find the link in the show notes. The second thing is, whatever pop up. Thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate you tuning in. Before you head off, uh, I'd like to ask you to do three things. The first thing is head over to Amazon and buy Jamie's new book, The HMO Blueprint, which was published and launched on the 26th of October. Um, The link to the. Thanks for listening, guys. Really appreciate you tuning in. Before you head off, I'd like to ask you to do three things. The first thing is head over to Amazon and buy the HMO Blueprint, which is Jamie's new book that was published on the 26th of October. You can find the link in the show description. The second thing is, whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you get weekly notifications as to when new episodes of the podcast drop. And the third thing is, head over to the HMO Experience Property Podcast Facebook page. Make sure you click that like button so that you get notified when we drop bonus content such as the HMO Diaries and the Friday Finance Takeover. That's it. See you next week.